everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 607, recording today, Wednesday, the 19th of February. It's a leap year, isn't it? So we get an extra day in February. Uh, and that that means the rest of the time, are, each day is short by, you know, a matter of second. I don't know how it works, but I know it's a leap year, so that might catch you out. So it'll be the, uh, um, there will be the 29th. Is it just one day or is it uh, two days you get? One day. You So we'll have a February the 29th this year, um, which is 10 days from now. But this isn't actually the podcast to do with uh, sort of meteorological and uh, time-based theory. This is actually uh, Sonic Talk, which is to do with uh, music technology, synthesizers, recording technology, live performance, live production, uh, software, uh, composition, anything that kind of surrounds the ecosphere. I'm no, I'm throwing the net very wide because this time of year is a very slow news time of year, and particularly with the sort of world events, I think people are also kind of holding off because I mean, obviously, um, what with events in China, I think there's been a lot of hold up of, of stuff coming in from the factories because they've been closed for longer. There's all sorts of stuff going on that's slowing everything down, but hopefully we'll all be back on track soon. But we're we're uh, we're happy to discuss everything with our guests and our guests this week. Uh, I'll start with Mr. Rich Hilton, who's there in Connecticut. Rich Hilton, mix engineer, live sound, live uh, performer, composer, producer, all of those things. How on earth I've are done you, that too. I've done You've I've done, done live sound, not in a long time, but I have done live sound. <laughs> Me neither in a long time, but I used to do a lot of it. Anyway, you've been uh, you've been globe trotting, I believe, Rich. I think I did. I see. I saw a post of you saying, "I'm just about to play for the HRH, the Prince of Wales," which I thought was very swanky. And a picture of you next to a yellow taxi cab, which didn't make an awful lot of sense to me. It was right behind me on the stage, that thing. I don't know oh, why. Right. It was a prop that they had <laughs> set up on the stage, I guess to make it look like New York, because we're from New York. I'm not sure, but um, it was a yellow cab, like you would find in the States. And uh, although less so these days. And pretty, yeah, much, all of them are, and pretty much all of them are Priuses by now. But... Um, it, it was a opportunity. You know what? That was actually taken during the show. Oh wow! I thought okay, while the right. show progressed, I we both had me and the sax player Time had on a your moment hands. where we had a moment, <laughs> and I thought this will make a nice picture. Here, take my camera, you know, and and I went for it, which is not something I do that often, but it seemed like the moment for it. Well, and so so, it but, but you, so you've been jet setting and trotting about doing uh, doing gigs, more gigs, more and more gigs. Well, that was yeah. We've we've been doing these sort of what I call down and backs, which is these private yeah. gigs for various uh, distinguished and wealthy people, I suppose, and uh, and quite enjoying it and seeing some amazing things. Did I tell you about Salzburg, Austria? No. Do oh my goodness. Well, uh, in the previous trip, uh, we had gone to Barcelona and to Salzburg, Austria to play uh, some private shows. And Salzburg, Austria is the home of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, uh, his birthplace as well. And um, we had a magnificent opportunity to see all of this normal touristy stuff. And then we also got invited into some vault to see documents that the rest of us don't get to see and uh it, for me it was a huge thrill and since my visit i've been immersed in mozart music uh, ah, was that was the original i didn't know the original recording of twinkle twinkle little star perhaps i don't know there was there was <laughs> the chart to that yes it's, oh, wow, good okay. that, it's great that you know that that he uh did a theme and variations on that and that that was one of the things in the vault actually um oh wow cool 
and uh, just immersed in uh, Mozart's string quartets at the moment and really enjoying them. He wrote a series of string quartets. Apparently, he had a relationship with Haydn, who was considerably older than him, uh, but admired his work cons- uh, quite a bit and said very, very complimentary things. And so Mozart wrote a series of string quartets for Haydn and invited him down to come hear them. And uh, they're magnificent. They're really just incredible. Wow. The talent is unbelievable. It sounds like you've been having a lot of fun zipping about yeah. all over the place. Uh, okay, and uh, well, and, th- and thank you for joining us. And we also have Mr. Yoad Nevo, who is, uh, by the looks of things, probably over in uh, Tel Aviv, where he puts in some mm-hmm. hours with Indeed. Waves developing software when he's not producing hit records and uh, songwriting and doing all of those things. Um, Yoad, I, 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 I flippantly asked you before the show, did you get a Brit yesterday in any of your, were any of your acts or people you've been working with winners or did you, uh, did you miss out? No, not this oh. year. No, I missed out. That's a shame. I'm sorry. That, 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 I hope that wasn't a sore subject. I didn't mean to kind of rub it in or anything. But, no, uh, not at all. Not at all. Not at I'm all. guessing you weren't Listen, actually I'm there just, either. I'm just making... I'm, no, I, I was here in Tel Aviv. I'm just making music and, you know, I, I enjoy doing it. And when it gets successful, then it's a bonus. But it's not the kind of drive behind it because I would do it anyway. Yeah, I think that's a fairly good sentiment to have anyway. But, but thank you for joining us. I guess... Mm-hmm. Um, have you? Well, what else have you been up to then? I mean, I know you 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 spend time there. I mean, have you been busy, 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 or has it been quiet like it is for a lot of people yeah, this time of year? Yeah, very, very busy. It was uh, a really, I mean, still is quite a hectic uh, beginning um, of the new year, which is great. I enjoyed. I am involved in in really cool projects, um, as well as the stuff we're doing it in waves, um, and there was. Do you remember many times you were asking me what I was doing and I I can't say. So finally, the OVOX came out uh, last month, which is something worked on a very long time. Uh, And I'm very proud of it and I'm very happy that it's finally released and it's very successful. It's actually one of Wave's um, most successful products ever. For the oh, first wow. month, which is That's very promising, yeah. I'm glad to hear it. So I'm re- I'm really proud of that. I told you uh, I was right, and now you, and you were. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I know that must be a great feeling. Well, maybe we'll get to talk about yeah, it yeah. and uh, and and cover that a little bit later on. Uh, we also have uh, Mr. David Spears from G4 Software, uh, who must be basking in the. Uh, in the sort of reflective glory of your excellent CS80 documentary, which has uh, I haven't had a chance to watch it all yet. Um, I I actually watched a pre-edited cut. It's so on I don't my know. list as well. Yeah, so um, that must be good. So you've been working on that, and that's out there in the world. People are saying nice things about it. Did it sound yeah. like Vangelis? Oh, man, I'll tell you, when Matt, I, I contacted Matt and just said, we need some levity during this, because, you know, to me, it just sounds like an hour of me droning on. And uh, Matt said, yep, yeah, it would be an honour. And I was just like, brilliant. Could you just replace these bits in here? So, yeah, it's just this guy. I spoke briefly about it last week in the match. It's like, yeah, nice day. That's Matt Sounds Berry like for those who are wondering. Yeah, and he's just got such a great voice. And obviously, he's a complete music hound. Great player. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was kind of a thrill. But, yeah, no, I mean, God, I get so nervous when I put anything out. It's like... It's horrible. I hate it. I've suddenly <laughs> realised the other day it's why I kind of like working with other, for other people, for other artists, because 
when it goes out, you kind of disappear into the background and then they're the kind of front people and they have to answer all the questions and basically take the flack. So, yeah, if there's anybody out there who'd like to offer me a full-time job in the background doing nice things, that'd be really nice. But, yeah, so no, it's been good fun. And work. It's, it's kind of opened up a dialogue about a few things, which has been really good. I've learned a few things. I, I mentioned about the initial level and attack level on the CS80. Yeah which kind of confused me for a while. It sounds like a kind of filter envelope depth thing, but it's more complicated than that. Uh, and a load of people have come out of the woodwork and give me advice on that, which I was really yeah. appreciative of. But well, why also, didn't you do that first? <laughs> well, no, but there was this, there's this element. One of the things I love about the VCS3 is there's things that I don't know what it's going to do. So I love that kind of surprise element. And that's what I've always liked about the IL and AL on this. It's like, okay, so now what's going to happen? Oh, screwed it up. Or, oh, that sounds nice. So, yeah, anyway, yes, it's been good. I'm just imagining the uh, the Toast of London-style voiceover session that Matt Berry did for you. I don't, if ever you've never seen the Toast of London, there's some absolutely brilliant scenes where he's a voiceover artist, basically, and he's in a studio, and the people who are on the other side of the glass are just idiots. And there's one particularly good uh, sketch where... The guy is so into describing, he presses the talkback button and starts describing what he wants, and then he takes his hand off to gesticulate. And obviously the guy, the Matt Berry's character, cannot hear what he's saying anymore. And he just gets apoplectic because the guy's just going, OK, calm down, what's the problem? I was just saying that... <laughs> it's just, it's absolutely genius. It's one of the funniest and, and very, it's a very in-joke, but it, it works even if you don't know maybe what studios uh, are doing. Uh, generally speaking but it, it, if you look it out i saw it recently somewhere and it's it's absolutely brilliant toast of london he has got a great we we have been talking about trying to get him on here one day and i'm sure it'll happen at some point and uh, I, i'd love to although I, d I don't know how he'd respond to it because his voice is so distinctive it would be quite hard not to just shut up and let him talk the whole time but you know which is kind of what i'm doing at the moment so perhaps let's get on to a couple of more things um so one of the first things that, uh, I'll tell you why this came up. This came up because... Uh, um, I'm sorry, this is in the chat The chat room. Yes, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. Yeah, that's the yes. name of the producer in the voiceover session who's called Clem Fandango, which is a brilliant name. Anyway, I, I, I diversify again. Um, so the reason this, this topic came up is uh, last week people were saying, oh, you sound a bit ill, and, uh, and I did. I felt like I was getting a cold. Nothing came of it. I didn't think it was. But then Saturday I got really sick and I spent the whole day in bed and I feel all right now, but it, was, it got me thinking about a, a couple of things to do with touring, uh, and particularly because um, at what point do, does the show, do you cancel a show because you're unwell? I would, how, far, how far can you push yourself through the kind of broken leg or the whatever it is that you're struggling with that, that makes it difficult. But also just generally touring life in general is actually very difficult. I found this article actually on uh, uh, The Guardian, uh, which is kind of interesting, which is just kind of the behind the scenes insomnia breakups and how hard that touring life, if you're incessantly on the road, I'm talking really, uh, how hard it can be because you're so far removed from reality. So I thought that was just an interesting thing to riff around. And as we've got two people who tour a lot, um, then that we can figure that out as well. But I th I'm guessing this also applies, you know, add to studio life because studio life is very restrictive. You know, you do it till it's done quite often and you're taken away from real life, even though your real life might just be around Absolutely. the corner. You still have to kind of, you know, the show must go uh, on. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly the the case for, for quite a few years of my life. Um, 
it's not anymore because I work in more sensible hours and things like that. But I remember that for years I used to wake up, take a shower, and and my eyes would get sore from the tiredness and everything. And I would find myself in the studio at 9 a.m., coming back home at like 2, 3. But I've done it for years, literally, like, I don't know, 10 or 13 years, I think, through all my time. Uh, here in Tel Aviv before I moved to um, to London. So uh, during that time, though, I, I produced an album which became very successful here in Israel, and I joined the... It was uh, a guy and, and a band, so I joined the band um, for two years. Uh, Israel is a very small country, so usually you come back at, like, the same night, so at four in the morning or something like that. And I used to do that, and I had an arrangement with the studio because I was mixing there, basically lockout sessions for for years. Uh, so they would stop the clock when when I would go to a gig and and basically come back the the next morning uh, f- to finish the mix. Um, so I had I, I I as a musician I I because I started really young in the studio. So as a musician, I thought that I have to go through that through the whole touring thing and uh, gigs and all that. Uh, we had like 150 shows in a couple of years. It was, uh, or in a year, it was like every day, every day, literally. Um, and, uh, but after after those two years, I just, you know, I, I realized that I, I'm much more happy in the studio um because the traveling the commuting and then you see you always sit in a room with a sink and eat cookies that's basically <laughs> that, 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 that's what it is and a mirror yeah yeah i should point out this though that i mean this is in no way i can't you know obviously many people who work in this industry are feel blessed to be able to do so i just think there are a lot of hidden things that people don't understand people assume it's all fun and and games and there's no boredom there's no kind of drag to it it's all easy life and that's you know for some people thrive on it and others it's it is tough i mean exactly i mean but but and it can take its toll and it can do other things i mean i know rich i don't know what your history is you you've worked a lot in studios so you know that whole kind of being in the stu- locked in the studio and kind of away from real life, but you you're a family man. You have a family and stuff, and you've been on the road as well for quite long periods of time. But I don't know whether that was something that you did when you, in you when you were younger or something that's happened to you more in recent years. I don't know kind of the history of that. This kind of touring is more in my later uh, life, and right. uh, studio work is more through my twenties, thirties, forties. So the only real similarity to me is that both of them are, well, they're, they're both involved in music and they both take you away from pretty much all of your life, your social obligations, anything else you might have been developing in your world that you were doing. Um, they tend to be incredibly immersive in terms of the way you have to spend your time doing them. So to that extent, they have a similarity and the people who are within your circle of life have to be understanding of that or they're going to feel neglected and uh, whatever. So there's that aspect of it. And then there's the, uh, let's see, the privilege aspect, which I want to start with, which is enormous, which is to run around and and entertain people and make them happy and share in their happiness. And that part of it is, is enormous. And I'm never more than 
you know, two steps away from totally immersed in that part of it and, and appreciative of it. That said, as you point out, there are difficulties. Uh, the transition from home life to road life and back, there is a transition period where you're reestablishing yourself in your new environment and you're re, uh, restarting routines and you're reexamining the ones you had before to decide if you want to continue to do that. And, and so there's that and there's the being cognizant of being healthy about your life in general so that you can continue to do this thing that you love to do. And uh, so you have to be cognizant of that. And there are social obligations attendant to touring where you have to be, you know, uh, visibly uh, nice to people all the time. Um, <laughs> Even if you're not feeling nice. yes. Right, true. right. No, but you do because you're representing something much larger than yourself in every yeah. interaction. So uh, it's uh, something I had to learn for sure and something I'm still learning. Um I have found equilibrium for myself on the road these days, and I'm really happy about that. And our band tours, I think, very well in terms of the social environment. There's a lot of very, very unique and creative people with very differing backgrounds and very different personalities. And how you interact in that world and how you can be forgiving and both, both forgiving and forgiven is very key to how well you're going to succeed in that. And uh, and then how you interact with the other people on the tour. Like right now, we're doing a tour with Cher, uh, you know, pop icon, movie star, television star Cher. And uh, she's gigantic over here and she sells seats like crazy. And her tour is 125 people. Wow. It's like touring with the circus minus the elephants and the tigers. It's There's just so much so many people so it's gigantic there's like 20 of us if you count all the crew and the management and everything like that but there's 125 of them and uh it's a big social environment and you basically want to impact your interactions positively and you have to really be uh, aware of that and then you have to get your sleep and you have to prioritize your habits and you have to decide how much you want to be doing all that stuff you might have been doing before you were taking on this responsibility of presenting yourself to a, a couple of hundred thousand people a year. So it's, uh, I, I take it as a very serious responsibility that those people deserve the best they can get out of me. And, uh, I should try to make myself as, uh, ready for that experience as possible. Yeah, I think that sounds like a very sort of conscientious way to do it. And I think, I mean, I know, Dave, you've taught a lot as well, and, um, you know, in a variety of ways and probably through some of the, the more excessive years of when touring was that kind of touring. And, we, and we've spoken to, um, I've forgotten the chap's name now. He's been on a couple of times, toured with the darkness, you know, and I don't know if he's Andy. told many. St- <coughs> Andy. Yeah, Andy Shilato. And he's, he's, he's told some interesting stories and the kind of excesses of that, which are, that, that sort of stuff is kind of over. And that's the, some of that stuff was, is legendarily amusing, but it's, it's kind of tough to live through as well, I'd imagine, right? Yeah, I mean, I was very, very fortunate. Uh, I, blimey. So Chris here toured extensively through the 80s. Chris was an amazing uh, keyboard tech. So he basically, I was very envious of Chris because he did like Aztec Camera, then Jericho, Blow Monkeys, Wakeman, Emerson. Yes. Uh, So he was literally jumping from tour to tour throughout that. And Chris was married briefly. And then he wasn't. And that was obviously impacted by the amount of touring. But it's a very, very addictive env- environment. So I started later. 
uh, late 80s, early 90s, really. Uh, and I have to say, I felt fit, healthy, alive. When people talk about, you know, having another family on the road, that's actually what you do end up with on any kind of tour as long as the vibe's good and people look after each other and if somebody's hurting then you'll kind of pick up the slack with them so for me it was an amazing experience it really was amazing but i think i was there were two things that happened to me that were really fortunate first of all i was quite young and most of the people i toured with were older and i saw quite quickly that their, their ex-wives hated them. Their kids didn't like them very much because they were never there. I mean, you exist in this bubble where people, like Rich said, you know, people do things for you, right? You have your obligations. But it's quite simple as long as you kind of put one foot in front of the other and you're reasonably okay at getting on with other people. I think that's the biggest skill to learn, you know, these kind of skills where you're living in a very enclosed, confined environment. So for me, that was really fascinating. The two things that happened to me were really I was able to see that I didn't think this was conducive to a long-term relationship. And actually, the last big-ish tour I did, I'd come out of a relationship, but quite a long-term one, and I was considering getting into another one, bizarrely, with Louise. Uh, and we both knew that there was going to be friction just because of the circumstances. So I kind of used that tour to kind of step away from everything and think about what I wanted. And actually, the conclusion I came to was that I wanted a long-term relationship, uh, which also coincided with the first Gulf War. So at the end of that tour, I was due to start another tour pretty, pretty soon after. And I went, uh, well, basically, the, well, as soon as the Gulf, first Gulf War started, uh, people stopped touring because artists were frightened. Uh, and then what happened is the recession kicked in. The first, you know, the kind of 91, mm. 92 recession kicked in and People couldn't afford the very, you know, the considerably expensive tickets then. So, in fact, Chris and I were talking about this recently. We were both on. I mean, this is like 1990. We were both earning at the time uh, $1,700 a week plus. Wow. I think we were on about £35 a day PDs. So you lived off your PDs and you stashed your wages, and that's kind of how we ended up putting deposits down for houses, uh, for our homes. Uh, and I literally went from like $1,700 a week to £100 a week. And that was it. It was like, well, if you want to keep working, which I did, that's the, that's the salary. In fact, that was weird because that was Shakespeare's sister before they had the big stay hit. But it was, yeah, it was an amazing change. Now, I got out soon after that because I started the first software company in about 92, 93. Uh, so that took me away from that world. But it was weird because I was offered a lot of tours. There was this kind of transitional period where it was like, oh, do you want to come on the road with various pretty big acts? Uh, and there's only so many times you can turn them down before you stop getting the call. And I was very nervous about that because it, it is an experience. It's an amazing experience. I mean, at the time, everything for us was first class and the best hotels and great parties. I got stories galore partying with Iggy Pop and all the rest of it because 
you know, one of the bigger, bigger tours for me. One of the most fun tours was Debbie Harry. And we were on the same festival bill with Iggy and various other people she knew. So it was raucous and fun. And she was an angel and a total rock and roller. So, yeah, but I was young enough to abuse myself a little bit and then walk away from it unscathed, relatively unscathed. <laughs> It's interesting that you say that. I mean, and, and, and in many ways, you know, this the, 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 the touring thing, because the, I guess the record industry supported some of that kind of activity, whereas now touring uh, is more the more of, the, of it than the actual record industry. You know, the touring industry has more, but it's still not, you know, you, you, you struggle to generate huge amounts of cash. I mean, I don't know, I, I, you know, I, I know, Rich, you're not flying, you're not being driven around in limos the whole time and helicopter rides. And, you know, it's not that sort of level of... I'm not. Oh well, maybe you are. I beg your pardon, but you know what I'm saying. It's it, it it it's become a lot more sort of realistic. But I mean, it's still the the basic principles are the same. You know, still trying to manage being a, a, a live human being outside of that environment, and when you come back to real life, unless you just spend your whole time in that, which is some people are, are able to do, it's kind of hard to, like you say, the transition is the difficult part. Even even to you know, to or the hard part to get right, I suppose, and to maintain, I think. And Dave's point about second family is really important because if you can establish that, uh, then it makes for a very comfortable. And what happens is once you spend enough time and people go through things, losses in their life, tragedies, illnesses of their own, um, you know, you, you end up experiencing life through these other people who end up being your second family. And um, in my case, as I say, I'm lucky because I really care for these people. Uh, mm. I can't imagine doing this and not feeling that way. That would be really, really hard, I think, because Just, you have yeah. so much space that you have to share and you're in such close proximity with them so much of the time that for it to be like really, really uncomfortable would be, I think, almost untenable and causes things to break up and people to leave jobs they shouldn't have to. And it's, yeah, I mean, no, it's, not, it's not easy. The social aspect, as Dave points out, is the hardest aspect to maintain yeah, yeah, once you've got the music. I suppose, I suppose, uh, yeah, well, I was going to ask you, because I mean, being in the studio a lot more, it feels like there's a, generally speaking, you try and maintain a much more even emotional state you know you try and get in the flow and you know to to get those things when you're performing live and you're touring you get these huge highs and lows there's this huge oscillation Surges, between yeah. euphoria and you know oh god the, you know something's not right or you're stressed out because something's changed around the show i mean in the studio it's a very different sort of it's a different mm. emotional space well, these days it is because i think that i'm in that space but also it's the people i work with because i used with like some crazy artists and there was a lot of uh, emotional um, roller coasters uh, in the studio and fights and arguments and a lot of creativity. It was much more buzzing. And I have to say that these days, especially when I work with, with younger people, um, they're all so polite. <laughs> and you know they don't do drugs and they just look at their phones all the time and they're very polite <laughs> and they 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 you know they even take their their coffee mug back to the sink which um so i and i kind of miss it because i i miss that that vibe in the studio um it was a lot more vibrant and now it's more 
calmer and everything. And in in a sense, it's like the way that things were like you were recording to tape. So there was an element of engineer of a risk, yeah. proper I'm... engineering. You had to conduct the session because you couldn't afford to erase anything or to 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 spill coffee or things like that on the you know these days everything is much more offline much more calculated much more okay let's see let's edit so in the same way that you edit every midi note and all that the whole kind of vibe and behavior is very controlled and uh, and steady so i kind of miss that that's uh, interesting that is no. interesting. I didn't know. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. The chaos. Yeah, the I mean, chaos, some people yeah. thrive. Some people absolutely thrive on that. I, I just thought it's a are... fascinating subject. I guess in a many ways. Sorry, Dave. No, no. I mean, the other thing is, you know, when you're a tech on these tours, I think that's amazing because that's when you really test your metal. Things do have a habit of go, going wrong, and if you're the guy who can keep calm whenever all those around you are kind of descending into chaos. You will work. But the, the other thing I wanted to say is this adjusting back to real life is very, very strange because you spend a period in a bubble and then you come home and you've got all these stories that you want to tell and whatnot. And your partner's kind of like, well, yeah, but I've just been down to Tesco's and done the shopping and I've been looking after the nipper while you're away. And you can't, it, there is, like Rich said, there's this huge period of readjustment. But also when I stopped, most of my friends are still on the road. Most of my close friends, Dale, still tours a lot. Andy is always out. And that's a really strange thing, and it has been over the years for me, because, for example, when I had a wedding anniversary party, in fact, my marriage was hilarious. My wedding day was hilarious because on the lead-up to the wedding, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we'll come and we'll play. And all my mates are like, yeah, we'll get up on stage and we'll play. At one point, I had Apollo 440 who were coming up to jam around and play live, you know, in the evening. And then as it got a bit closer, a uh, drummer rang me up and he said, ah, oh, mate, he said, uh, uh, we can't do you, I can't come to your wedding because it's either your wedding or it's us supporting Jean-Michel Jarre under the Eiffel Tower on Bastille Day in the same year France won the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Fair so enough. you end up with all these kind of social events that it's like, Oh, sorry, mate. I can't come because I'm off. I'm working. I'm away. I'm this. I'm that. So, and that's that's well, really that's, strange. That kind of illustrates the point. I mean, really, isn't it? That kind of that, and you have to just understand that I can't make it because you know there's there's a sort yeah. of and it's just there's the work there and it's it's Christmas it's, and New Year's always funny, you know, because they're always the good function gigs. So you get a load of mates. It's be like, oh yeah, come on, New Year's Eve party or something. And then as it gets closer, it's like, ah uh, yeah, I can't because I've got this gig. And it's really well paid. Thanks, but no yeah. thanks. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Interesting. <laughs> oh yeah, you you miss holidays, you miss family gatherings, you miss things. Yeah, a lot. You of give that, up yeah. some stuff. Yeah, definitely, definitely do. Uh, but like I said, this wasn't supposed to be a oh poor me, how terrible my job is. It's just, I think not I at think, all. I think a lot of no, people, no. a lot of what a, what a lot of people who kind of. Particularly when you, because I hear this a lot, you know, people, I've worked with artists that are considered, you know, to be difficult. And I hear people's theories about why. And I just say, well, that's not the case at all. You just don't know the background. People assume that if somebody's perhaps having a little bit of a difficult time, it's because, you know, like most of us, there is a, everybody has a certain amount of creative insecurity. And if your creative insecurity is manifesting itself in front of 
50,000 people live and your trousers have just split or, you know, the wrong clothes have been... But whatever it is that kind of keeps you in the kind of zone that means that you can deliver that stuff, then things like that are very, very stressful. And you don't realise... You can't just kind of go, oh, it's all right. Yeah, I'll be with you in a minute. I'm just going to go and perform live to uh, 50,000 people and it's going to be televised and this is a really big deal. I'm sorry I can't comfort you about... You know, I can't talk to you about the cat. You know, this is something... There's there's this there's that those things but 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 to the outside world those things seem really irrelevant. They don't maybe understand that that sacrifice, I suppose, to a degree that you have to make those decisions. You have to go well. At what point would I not do that show? I can't not do the show because Tiddles is a bit unwell. You know, there's there has to be well, a big. Well, you could, but you might. You might all right. So I don't remember exactly where we were this year, last year when the bass player's sister passed away, uh, thirty minutes before showtime. Yeah. But uh, that happened. And uh, you asked earlier about illness and at what point. In 2017, our band leader, guitarist, and major uh, songwriter, Nile Rogers, got very, very ill on the road. And we and got rushed to the hospital one night after a gig. And we actually performed a show without him. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. Uh, which is the first time I think he ever missed a professional obligation. Um, I know I missed my first one last year because of a blizzard. I spent seven hours trying to get to New York and never got closer than an hour and a half away. Um, uh, but at least I wasn't hurt. Uh, he actually went to the hospital uh, with E. coli poisoning. And uh, and so what does it take? It takes something like that. And we still went on. And we still went on. And there were good, solid, uh, how shall I put this politely, business reasons why we went on. Um, but... Uh, we went on and uh, shared the guitar work across three of us, uh, including Earth, Wind & Fire's guitarist, who sat in and played most of the show. Wow. Brilliant. And uh, Russell, the other keyboardist, played some guitar, and I played some guitar. Yeah, wow. Also, yeah. the other thing that you, you kind of, that a lot of the public don't realize is it's not just the show from the perspective of the star turn you'll get to a venue and they'll be doing radio interviews tv interviews they'll have all the local newspapers asking the same kind of banal questions and then there comes there usually comes this moment a couple of hours maybe before the show i used to love catering uh, anyway that's completely aside um where they need quiet time and you have to literally go that's it no one talks to anyone around the star turn now and you have to insulate them that's all kind of part of the job i think for me i i have no idea what it's like now i mean the last obviously i went to see rich uh that looked nice and civilized well that was henley festival so it's bound to be civilized ish uh i think the last proper gig i went to was nine inch nails to see alessandro Tex absolutely on it. I mean, way more educated than we were in the kind of rock and roll days. Um, everything as civilised as possible, and it's really important to keep that. But what really made my heart break was when I was reading about after Alan Holdsworth died, that he wasn't making enough money for a hotel. He was kipping on people's sofas. And I was like, how did we get, how did we get to the point where such an amazing artist is having to do that in order to kind of deliver his craft to an audience that is, you know, obviously super appreciative, but, you know, he was a master. And I don't know how many more of those kind of stories are out there. 
Mm. But for me, that was a kind of, yeah, a moment. But for me, the whole experience was overwhelmingly positive. I learned so much, so much about it. And we've, Chris and I always prattle on about, you know, how great it would be, apart from the fact that our backs are completely screwed now and we're a lot older and we'd have to go to bed at a sensible time. But there <laughs> Show are time, kind of 4 days. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, 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 anyway, I'm really glad that you were able to share some of that stuff with us. I think we probably just have a quick word from our friends over at Isotope and then we can jump into some other topics as well. Building on a 17-year legacy in audio mastering, Ozone 9 brings balance to your mix with never-before-seen processing for low-end, real-time instrument separation, and lightning-fast workflows powered by machine learning. Expect lower CPU usage and shorter startup times with Ozone 9 compared to Ozone 8. Experience fluid metering in a fully resizable environment that lets you track the most subtle details of your audio. Use more plugins at once, mix while you master without worrying about slowdowns or dropouts. And immerse yourself in a smooth, modern experience designed to keep you in your creative flow. As you can see, Ozone 9 is the fastest way to get your master off the ground. Thank you so much for watching. Be sure to check out our other videos and head to isotope.com to learn more about mixing and mastering and to download your free trial of Ozone 9. Indeed, we encourage you to do so. A uh, very useful piece of uh, technology and tool for mixing and mastering. In fact, we have a competition. We have a winner from last week. Well, actually, let's do the competition first. That's probably the best thing. You could win a copy of Ozone 9 Advanced uh, looking for the hashtag. Now, this is a bit complicated because it's got two Cs in the middle, but looking for full sonic control as one word. So full sonic control as one word and the hashtag Ozone 9. And if you uh, at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc., uh, then... That's a Twitter competition. Put that in the tweet and it will go into the prize draw for next week's prize. Uh, and But we do have a winner for um, last week's show, uh, which is somebody called... They're called Arfcorps, at Arfcorps, uh, A-R-F-C-O-R-P-S. They tweeted the uh, the required hashtags and the uh, random number generator pulled them out of the list. So if you want to get in touch, Arfcorps, uh, then you will get your uh, Ozone 9 advance from last week. And once again, we thank Isotope for supporting the show and uh, giving prizes so we can give out to you guys and gals. Uh, right. Okay. So uh, after that kind of rather deep and abstract competition, um, right. Th th sorry, that, that topic. Let's quickly, I just want to do a quick bit of Bond because this is the uh, the new Bond thing. This is Billie Eilish from last night's Brits, actually. I can only play a tiny, tiny amount of it because I'll get busted. But this is the new Bond, uh, I think it's called Time to Die or is it called A Time to Die? No Time to Die. But we could see her fin... Phineas and um, also Mr. Hans Zimmer's on stage there because he did the orchestration. I was, I must admit, I'm blown away by the way that she sang this. I, and it does definitely look live and it's quite impressive. 18 years old. Right, that's probably all I could get away with. I yeah. thoroughly recommend you watch that because yeah, it's amazing. the control in a voice of somebody so young. It, I, I mean, I, I, we, we did a, we, we discussed this uh, with Jamie Liddell, uh, who uh, did the piece with the um, Universal Audio uh, Chambers, um, which is the Universal. Cha uh, I can't remember the name of the. What am I thinking? The, the, the basically, and he did a song called uh, 
there was a rose. And we were talking about how singers from the 50s and the 60s who were just singers, they had the cojones to be able to... To, to do it in front of the orchestra, in a studio, in a big environment, live on stage, to radio. You know, and Billie Eilish has been seen to be a brilliant studio musician and can write, but that showed that she's also got the other stuff, to me, anyway, whether you like it or not. But it's also a really interesting piece, the idea that, you know, there's to get a Bond theme, I can't think of any other equivalents in, uh, certainly in music. There seems that it's a very unique and unusual honour or privilege or pinnacle of career. And uh, she's obviously the, the, the sort of zeitgeist at the moment. But it's a really, I think it's a really fascinating kind of concept. And there's a load of favourites and stuff. I was going to come to you first, Yoad, because you must have had brief encounters with either the Bond theme of the time or people who've done it or been pitched to be doing it and got it or didn't get it or what. I'm just curious, what what does it mean? Does it really mean all that much? It's almost like a kind of badge of honour, isn't it, in many ways? Yeah, totally is. Totally is. I actually, yeah. Um, but what I wanted to say, I mean, she she's amazing and, and everything, but what I was really impressed with was... Um, was the, the level of production of the whole thing, including the mix or mainly the mix. This sounded amazing. It sounds amazing. You can you can get the sense. I mean, you can get the sense that it's live because you have I the, mean, on the, the night. audience and all right. that. Yeah, but it sounds like a bloody good mix for a record as well at the same time. So that was quite... Uh, and I, can, I, I could hear a lot of uh playback like synths and stuff yeah. uh, and and even orchestra orchestra stuff i could hear it more than the actual orchestra that's fine but as a, as a sort of product you know as a television experience the 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 angles the camera angles the lighting the sound the her performance on top of all that was it, it's just a perfect uh um and i was thinking to myself this because I I done a lot of um, live TV mixing, uh, live mixing for TV of uh, of live shows and uh, and events like that um, in the past, and it's really hard to to get it perfect. Uh, but on this thing and a lot of other stuff that has been uh, done today, you can you can really appreciate the advancement in uh, in technology where where it comes to all the digital mixers and snapshots and every because everything is perfect and and there's a lot of stuff there was a lot of a lot of mics and a lot of lines um, to control there um, and it just sounded really you know there was nothing kind of uh, that I could say sounded wrong even for a second during this whole performance. Yeah, that, so, there was an element of perfection. And her vocal carried absolutely. the whole thing, which was, I, I mean, it was what I was yeah. saying. I mean, I know, Rich, whether you saw the Brits uh, over here, because, I mean, but, you know, obviously, Billie Eilish is a, is, is a native, native uh, US citizen, so you must be aware of her stuff. But, uh, I mean, in terms of the whole, the, the kind of thing, the cachet around the Bond thing, and the fact that this is this is a really Bondy Bond song as well, which I quite like. It's not, it's, it doesn't, sat, it's got a, a, of the Bond DNA, the code that goes into those kind of early... Uh, Bond themes. It sort of feels like there's a bunch of that there as well. I don't know what the progression is. What did you make of it? 
first of all, I thought it was fantastic. And I think she's fantastic. And I'm actually so impressed that I think she possibly is the most important new artist to come along in a long time. And I'd have to go back at least to Lady Gaga and maybe before that. Um, but but uh, both she and Phineas, I mean, when I say she. And uh, this particular piece of music was spectacular. Uh, I love seeing Hans. I love seeing Johnny Marr. I love seeing an orchestra. I love the way she sang it. Uh, I think she is an incredibly gifted person as a as a singer and as an artist and uh as a personality even and um i was blown away now to place it in the context of bond movies is difficult for me because i'm not that big a fan and i'm not that aware of the history and i know a little more about it than maybe blade runner but i don't know that much about it and this seemed like an odd theme song for a bond movie to me so if it is in character as you say then i'm just not aware of the progression to this point but that said i think it's fantastic and the mere fact that they would use it uh for such an auspicious uh thing is uh really cool to me and uh i'm i was blown away i really enjoyed this video and uh, i hadn't seen it and uh, obviously and it was great i think she's great yeah, I, I mean, I think it's interesting that that whole the whole Bond thing. I mean, because Bond, I mean, you know, Dave, the 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 concept of being involved in a Bond thing. I don't know if I've. I mean, I don't. I don't know whether I'd be able to carry that responsibility being involved in that because I mean, that just seems like such just the weight of expectation on a single song and all the press and the publicity that surrounds it. I mean, I know Mick Ro- uh, Mark Ronson did the thing with. Um, it ended up. Did it end up being? Um, it started off with Amy Winehouse, but it ended up being somebody else in the end, didn't it? Was that the the year that Jack White and Alicia Keys got it, or was that uh, Sam's? I can't remember. But I don't, I don't remember. I remember Amy tried it because it was a local studio to us, uh, and that was a nightmare for her. You know, Paps the other side of the river breaking in the house next door. Actually, that was a kind of really pivotal moment for Chris and I, wanting to start the studio where we have it because it's very secluded and it's very private and we were like actually this is a good place for people to come where they can walk around and not be hounded uh, and so far that's proved to be the case uh, so yeah I don't really know any more than that but this was amazing I mean I don't I'm a Luddite I don't really know anything about her other than I've kind of seen a load of criticism and I heard that bit where she said she was depressed which interestingly tied into the first subject you know where people and, and maybe it kind of ties into me releasing stuff and stuff you know you kind of get i don't know used to this kind of people shouting at you all the time and sometimes it all becomes too much noise and then you have to go away and do what you do and then you come out with something like this and you blow all the naysayers away and that kind of i didn't see any of it last night even though i was told i was on it um joking because of dave um but yeah when i saw the this video and obviously saw some stuff on the news this morning it was up, like rich said it was great to see hands there and johnny marr and stuff and it was like it was impeccable it was impeccable uh, so i'm really keen to learn more about her just as a result of this because i don't know anything other than the noise that's out there 
Mm, I know what you mean. Or has been. Okay, well, I, 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 I hesitate to ask after what Rich said about uh, not being follow-up, but I wonder, does, every, does anybody have a, f- a favourite Bond theme? Is there Because there, there, there have been so many of them. I just wondered whether that... For me, I think it's got to be Diamonds Are Forever because of the instrumentation of that particular soundtrack as a whole. It's just the flutes and the vibes. It's, it, 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 that, that there's something about it that's very... It, it, it's the essence of the Bond sound for me. But I also really, really like the Jack uh, White and Alicia Keys one, even though that's not very Bondy, but I thought it was a great piece of music. I know, uh, Joad, have you got a favourite? I mean, do you have a sort of... Are you Or don't you care that much about... <laughs> Um, no, I do. I do care. I mean, I like all the kind of guitar ones and all that, you know, old guitar with tremolo, which is the kind of uh, trademark yeah. for this yeah. sound. And the, uh, you know, the all that. Uh, I like that. Uh, but, you know, I like the Duran Duran. Uh, yeah, a lot of people say that as well. Yeah. You too, Keel. That that was re- especially the production. I think it was Nile Rodgers, wasn't it? Which one? Um, View to a kill. Uh, View to a kill. No, I, th- I think Bernard Edwards produced that with ah. John Barry, no, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think Nile produced okay. the View to a Kill. I could ah. be wrong about that, and uh, boy, would that be embarrassing. Because but, it uh, sounds to me, it sounds to me quite in line with the other stuff he did with them around that time. So that's why I assumed it was. Yeah, know, but I remember Bernard telling me stories about John Barry. So I, and which I think means it was Bond movie, which it probably means it was you to a kill because I don't think they did two of them. Hmm, maybe in not. In any case, that that sounds. That, okay, right. no, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, no, fair enough. I I I kind of get that. I mean, there's almost there's one for everybody. I, I don't know. Where, are you kind of more a fan of the old school ones? I mean, the Matt Monroe uh, from Russia with Love is also one of my big favorites because it's such a beautiful piece of music. And I always thought it was Sinatra. I probably couldn't name three Bond themes. Um, so I'm a bad choice for this. Okay. But I don't think I've liked any of the ones I've heard better than what I heard today from Hans and Billie Eilish. Ah, well, that's good. What about you, Dave? Is there a, are you, uh, do you have a particular favourite? There's a few. I love ah. the bombastic nature of yeah, Goldfinger. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And she's, uh, her voice is just outrageous. Shirley Bassey, uh, yeah. Yeah, the I mean, View to a Kill, yeah, quite like that. Uh, Moonraker, uh, what was my, my fa- I mean, All the Time in the World, Louis Armstrong. Oh, yeah, that's got some of the got finest sounding strings in the world. They are so, and the thing about that song is actually really interesting because it, at the end, it's the one with George Lazenby, isn't it? And it, it's, when you hear it, you're not really, you're not maybe aware of the backstory, but it plays just after, you know, we think that Bond, this is one of the, the, the first or the last, before Daniel Craig did something, this was one of the first Bond movies that showed him as a human being, an emotional human being that gets attached to one, you know, to one of the Bond girls who's dying a rig. And she, I'm not. I'm not doing any spoilers, but right at the end, you think they've done it. They've got away. Blofeld's been, you know, Telly Savalas got forked in a tree, well, uh, on the bobsleigh run. And it's all over, and then she just gets assassinated on the way. And it's just so sad. And then all the time in the world, while she, it, that is, it's so poignant, Beautiful and it makes the emotive aspect of it even more. Live and let die. Oh, okay. Yeah, bit of, bit of Ma- Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Also, Gladys Knight did that license to kill, and I, I mean, I'm obviously 
huge Gladys Knight fan. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, they're really iconic, really iconic people. Must be a hell of a... It's a bit like, you know, when Anders were asked to do the opening ceremony for the Olympics, because my first thought was, oh, my God, the responsibility. <laughs> and, then, and then it's likewise with this, isn't it? Just be like, oh, yeah, I really... Because the temptation is to go, yeah, 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 it'd be amazing. And then you're kind of thinking, oh, what have I done? I think... I, do you think there's, like, in the same way that there, you always go to... Uh, what's his name? Ken, um, Ken Burns for your rostrum camera. If you get the Bond theme gig... There's a, there's people you call who will make it okay, uh, and and make sure that your your idea and you know the, the essence what whatever you bring they can make it all right in the same way that you when you go to a studio and you've got a string arrangement and you've you've done it on your synth and you give it to somebody like you know one of the, one of the great orchestrators and they go yeah don't worry we'll sort it all out and you go oh yeah that's fantastic and they conduct and you just go brilliant you're not going to ever get dropped in it too much you know because there's 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 this crack team of Bond producers that will come in and help. Somewhere it's the, the first way. email, isn't it? The first email. Dear David Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Hans. Dear, yeah, yeah. brilliant. I've usually been British. asked, yeah. I don't know. I wonder if that's the case. I, I just, I, I, but all this sort of bombastic nature, it's interesting. I, I just thought uh, 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 as Bond things go, that's a, that, it feels like a bit of a corker myself. I think that's a, a good one. She's eighteen, man. She's eighteen. I know. It's that. Gone, it, it, it's it's t that is quite terrifying. Eighteen, and so far, and, and fingers crossed that it's all going to be okay, and she's not going to be overexposed and 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 overpressured, and can just still be as brilliant as she needs to be without you know without having to go through anything too painful because it's it's a tough a tough life being that famous at that age. I would imagine great fun. But uh, yeah, um, okay, right. Well, let's let's just uh, actually, I, I'll come to this now because we've been musing on uh, the other stuff quite a lot. So I thought if bum, I played th bum, bum, this, bum. I don't know if this is the right bum, video, Yoad, but this is Waves Ovox, which we talked about a little bit earlier, which is vocal resynthesis, and this is sort of demonstrates what you can do. I'm guessing. Okay, so vocal over. I'm going to come to you, Yad, first because this is something you've been working on. So, mm -hmm. vocal resynthesis. I just got to ask: Were you involved in the mixing or the production of the trailers? Because I mean, it, it would seem Not obvious that you should. No, Not okay. Right, okay. No. No, I wasn't here when they were done. I think they're brilliant. Um, yeah, basically, um, you know, it's it, it could be, um, you know, it, it's it's a vocoder at the end of the day, but it has very unique features. One of them um, is the fact that you can throw it on an audio track. Uh, you don't have to have uh, MIDI and sidechain and all that. So... You know, the whole thing about setting up a vocoder to work was always a nightmare. And with this one, you just insert it on the vocal track, for instance, and um, it will synthesize the voice and it can harmonize it, add, uh, add more voices to it. Uh, but it, to, in order to develop it, we actually had to create a whole new synthesizer um, which I really love. 
and I made a lot of presets to it as well, which there's there's a bunch of presets. Uh, a lot of really good contributors have contributed, uh, but the synth is just um, it's just really nice. Um, the way it harmonizes, um, basically, you can assign. It comes with loads of presets, similar to Cthulhu in that sense that every note you hit will trigger a different chord so you can actually program chord progressions but they will pick up the note that goes through it and assign a chord to every note so right. um so, wow, okay. so that's uh, um so in that in that sense it's quite clever it has a lot of modulation modulation sources uh, which you can draw step sequences uh, looped envelopes, um, normal LFOs with crazy waveforms and things like that, and you can automate and modulate everything. Um, so and and a few effects. Yeah, that's the yeah well, yeah yeah. It's yeah. going too quickly. Sorry, um, I just, I'd so, throw that there to yeah, some context. Was, so so tell me, is there it, so, is yeah. there something about techno a technological advance in sort of DSP thinking, DSP coding that has allowed you to do this? Because I mean, quite often we see these Absolutely. things happen happen that kind of okay, that it's either a leap in computing power or some other technology has come along that's made this viable. Um, yeah, so so usually a, a, a classic vocoder works on, if you imagine like a, a, a spectrum analyzer, like the old school spectrum, yeah. spectrum analyzer, which had the, the LEDs. So it, you would have 12 or 16 bands and they were modulated by the modulator and they were applied to a synth pad or noise or something yeah. like that. And they would shape the they would ba basically create a very complex filter that will um be animated yeah um what we're doing here is is slightly different and that's the that it's called ors organic uh, synthesis um which basically takes the audio and splits it into three elements one element is the pitch one element is the amplitude envelope or for uh, whatever character um and the the other is the format right so basically okay. what it means is that you can use all these three modulations or three curves as modulation source sources freely so you can apply the pitch to the filter and basically you can have a uh, you know, a yeah, yeah, filter okay. that follows and that's the, the melody the, or something the, the, like that. Does that will that work? And, and that will work real time as well. So that's the sort of key. It works in real time. There's no there's no latency. Yeah, and yeah. you can take the amplitude and assign it to to pitch. You can take the pitch and assign it to format. So basically, enhancing or doubling the amount of format, if you like, or you can do it negatively. So, so that the higher the, the singer goes up in, in pitch, the, the format will go down and things like that. Um, so the fact that you can really separate the, the, the sound into three elements, obviously a monophonic sound and either an instrument or vocal to its three el basic elements and then either uh, yeah. recombine them together or 
mess about with them and uh, and and create really interesting things. Ah, okay, well, Dave. So that's looking... how it differs from. Okay, Dave. I could see. Uh, uh, you, legendary, your other half is very. Uh, is not so keen on vocoders. <laughs> we could say. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing uh, that this could form the basis of some incredible practical jokes, but uh, I, 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 I don't think yeah. what they are. But I mean, I've, I've been hearing of vocoders a lot in recent in a lot of things recently, where they've just been used or vocal resynthesis. I mean, because we know uh, Isotope's vocal synth can do things like harmonise, and there are other things as well. So that this vocal synthesis technology is something that's coming for forefront in a lot of ways and i think a lot of singers are using them to enhance their own just direct performance i'm sure i heard some in the billy eilish thing as well though no i know she does sing her own harmonies vocoders though and this hey i love them and i think this is great um i'd like this purely to spook the wife downstairs because I look, <laughs> the story is she had a kind of traumatic childhood experience with uh, no one will remember this under a certain age but it was Sparky's Magic Piano which was kind of the first kind of common use of vocoder it was quite scary uh, I loved it obviously because I was I've always been into audio textures and all of that kind of stuff so every time I bring a vocoder into the house and muck about with it she's like I don't like it. I don't like it. It's frightening. And she said me joking, of course, but it's turned into a bit of a kind of family joke. So I've put all manner of voice changes and all sorts of things. So I could have way too much fun with this on a wind-up. Happy birthday through a vocoder. You see, things like that. I've done that in the past. That doesn't oh, go well. That sounds... <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how that... Um how things like that can shape, you know, that, that can, can have a totally different meaning for somebody else. It's like clowns, isn't it? Clowns, and some people are yeah. very happy with the idea of a clown. Some people find them incredibly spooky. I don't know. Is that, you, you were talking about Vocoder's been used a little bit on the, uh, when you when you perform live, don't you, for the uh, uh, Get, is it Get Lucky? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Russell Graham uh, operates the Roland uh, JDX something or other. XR, yeah, Roland. that's right. Yeah. That's the... uh, doing its vocoding thing. Yeah. So, we I mean, use it. You, is there a, I mean, in terms of resynthesis, particularly, I, I guess, come, if I come back to you, Yoa, do, do you think, I mean, did you feel that there was a, there's a gap? I mean, because you're working in the studio a lot. Was this, did this come from a, a kind of idea or was there a sort of like vocalists are always asking to, for me to be able to do X, Y or Z? And it's like, so this does X, Y or Z. Um, for me, using vocoders, I always uh, get annoyed by the fact that, that the sound is really smeared. You know, it's not clear. It's always kind of steamy which is what makes it beautiful if you want to sound like uh, mr blue sky or something like that you know a proper old school vocoder but if you want to to use it um for more modern uh types of music um and you want that robotic you want that sound which you're not certain whether it's a human or a machine i like that fringe and uh, I remember the first time we managed to get, because at the moment you, you, you load it with a, just a sawtooth and you speak or sing to it and it will just say or sing that exactly through a synth. And you, 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 for a minute there, you think it's your own voice, but it's actually synthesized. Um, so to get to that level of persuasion, 
um, of the realness uh, and how it can really follow and without smearing it and without having this glassy sort of uh, sheen to it. Um, that was, I remember that moment and that was to get the MIDI to follow um, the pitch perfectly and to get the, the formants to really um, work uh, well. Um, that was a, a, a big achievement. I tell you what, the um, th this kind of ties in nicely with the, the topic that we had last week. Did you hear the uh, the kind of vocal synthesis, the spoken stuff that we were talking about? I mean, combine something like this without because we were talking about it not being able to sing, which was the uh, I'm trying to remember what the what the technology was. But I, I, I don't know if you were involved last week. I, you you talked about that. We talked about that with you, Dave. Did you see? Because uh, after the show, uh, Jem Godfrey, who is an occasional guest on the show, sent oh, me a link yeah. saying, "Have you checked this out?" And the th the thing that's amazing about this technology, it takes a five second sample of. Uh, you know, uh, um, the uh, the spoken voice and it can kind of resynthesize the voice, but it gets it wrong as well. And the wrongness is really scary. I don't know if you've got a chance to see that, but uh, I'll play a little yeah. bit out at the end. Before I do that, though, I should probably say, um, if you want to check out the uh, the waves, it's OVOX vocal resynthesis. How long has it been out, Yoad? Uh Just for a month. Oh, uh, just we, one month. We presented it in them. Yeah. And uh, so far, it's been selling like crazy. Oh, Excellent. We're quite pleased with that. Oh, and you can Surely find this that is brilliant for sound design because you can take any yes, monophonic source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, love and, co and combine it with any anything else, so you can morph between stuff and yeah. Interesting. Well, that, the base Fantastic. the baseline that he did in that sounded pretty good. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. So yeah, check it out. I think it's available as what is it? Pretty much all plug-in formats and standalone. I think what was that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, everything. So you, the, yeah, everything. it's both standalone and all formats. Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, I wanted to finish up with uh, just a, an example of that. This was the, the it was the sample for last week, and this was the page that uh, we got uh, that that Jem found. I didn't find this, and he said, "Try." So basically, the ones that are got wrong are the ones in red. So essentially, you know, these are Only vocals. the photographs on the mantelpiece really showed how much time had passed. Ten years ago, there had been lots of pictures of what looked... Only the so photographs on... Only so the that, photographs on the mantelpiece really oh, showed how I much stop time it? I don't had passed. I, oh yeah, I can't stop it. So the idea is, is it can speak spoken word, but then when it gets it wrong, the thi check this out. This is... I find this actually quite disturbing. Ernan, Ernan, Ernan entered the kitchen is turning over the bim your hair by way, 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 no, no, Wow, uh, it, it's because it, it's so. It sounds organic. like she ran out of batteries. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I wanted to bring that up because I, this came in after we'd finished the topic, and some of this stuff was a sort. I'm going to stick this link in the notes. Actually, if I do that, I'll paste it into the chat room as well, so people can check it out. It was your but comment it, about the the guy from Alien, wasn't it? Sounds yeah, like, it sounds like Bishop the, the after android. he's been. Yeah, 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 and he's just sort of he, he, his dying words. It's just really creepy. Anyway, um, let's. This probably feels like a good time to end. I can't believe we've got this far, and it's it's already ten past eight. Uh, ten eight minutes past five. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Rich, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, uh, what are you going on to now? Have you got more gigs to, on on the on the on the go, or are you going to be uh, home for a little while? I'm home for about two more weeks, and then the touring kicks in big time, and we go back out with share throughout the U.S. and Canada for uh, a couple of months, 
with a break in the middle where we go to England to play Roger Daltrey's uh, Teenage Cancer Trust at Royal Albert Hall, and we go wow. to Bogota, Colombia to play a festival. Wow. <laughs> and then another month of share touring. So I'm going to be away a lot uh, starting in the uh, end of the first week of March and extending into May. It's a shame you're not going to be in Berlin for Superbooth because that's going to be the really interesting. Yeah, it I, is I, a shame. I'd love to see not, that. You've not been there yet, and it's still in the same venue, but uh, we'll be going. Uh, and we'll start talking about that again soon, I think. And there's going to be a lot of new gear there, I'm sure of it, including, uh, Dave, the, uh, the, the, the Korg uh, Op 6, which was the DX7. Uh, Actually, that topic that came up last week, which is people saying they wanted FM synths with knobs on, we didn't. Nobody mentioned the electric yeah. digitact, which I feel not yeah. digitact. The um, digitone, which I feel really ashamed of. But hey, there you go. Yeah. What can we say? Yeah, that was that was a bit embarrassing. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> we did get a lot. I had to. I was apologising a lot in the comments for not mentioning that. I have to say, but that's hey, that's the way it goes. But Dave, also thank you for joining us. Been a pleasure having you. Uh, I guess um, so. Now, what? You, what's the next? Uh, have you got the the second hour of the CSAE uh, um, uh, or the CSAE uh, off off no. cuts or whatever? No, no, no. no. I mean, <laughs> we, I, I've been wanting to do this for years. Kent and I have been talking about it for years and years, and. Uh, Chris is away this week, and yeah, I they they kind of were off on other tasks for the last couple of weeks. So I was like, it's now, it has to be now, uh, and I haven't done a vid for ages. Uh, in fact, I, when I looked, when I put it up, it was like the last one I did it might have been the cat or the JPA or something was like a couple of years ago. Oh my! So yeah, this was this was kind of overdue, and I've like I say, been wanting to do it for ages. So yeah, I've had utterly amazing comments, although. Very, very brief story. I went, I so what I did is I uploaded it and then I bugger off because I don't want to know what people say. I never read comments, I just don't read them. Uh, it's better for my psyche that way. Listen to your peers, never read the comments. So I went over to my parents' house and was installing a few things for them. And then I came back and Kent called me on the phone and he said, I said, Oh, you know, is it, is it all, is, is it all right? Kind of thing, you know, tentatively. And he went, Yeah, mate, you know, it's up to however many hits it has and various likes on YouTube and whatnot. And he said, but there's no and there's no dislikes at the minute. Now I've had this theory for years that there's one person employed by a company whose who's job it is, is to sit there day in, day out, just the thumbs down, yeah. every video. Yeah, every video that's ever on YouTube, they just, uh, yeah. And sometimes they miss a few and they're probably fired and they get another one in. But I've had, anyway, it was brilliant because Kent said, and no dislikes. And I was like, and it was five o'clock as I was driving home. And I said, yeah, but, you know, the Americans are just waking up. By the time I got home, we were up to six or five or whatever it was. <laughs> I just called Kent and I went, I rest my case, mate. <laughs> anyway, I do recommend you watch it. Actually, we wrote a story. Um, so if you look on Sonic site, it should be still on the front page, uh, which is a link to the to the video. So uh, do check it out. But uh, lovely to have you as ever, Dave. And also, Mr. Yardnowi, thanks for joining us. I hope that your weather improves. So it's certainly going to be better than it is in the UK. I, I, I'm suffering. I haven't been fishing for weeks because it's I can't get anywhere near the water because it's sort of too dangerous. But uh, hey, there we go. That's just, uh, it'll all be fine in the end. But Yoad, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Are you back to uh, travelling back to the UK soon or just... Uh... Yeah, I hope the flight is not going to be too bumpy. Uh, I think the wind, stuff. most of the wind has stopped. But, yeah. 
Okay, well, thank you, everybody, and thanks for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we will uh, do our usual waving everybody goodbye. Uh, thank you very much for uh, joining us. That was Sonic Talk, episode 607. We'll see you all uh, next time. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye now.